0: We're back. Welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones.
1: I'm Dolores McElroy.
0: And today we're talking about Dead Ringers, the new six episode miniseries on Amazon Prime. Um, I, I just want to, before I even light into the whole intro, I just want to say I have a new foster dog named Jackson. Go <laughs> well, along with my, <laughs> as they call it in the, in the foster world, foster fail, which means you adopt them, dog, uh, Doc. And if they start barking, you know, it's just the way it is in the world of fostering. <laughs> so caution there. Um, but, let, you know, just a quick summary, as quick as I can make it anyway. Um, Dead Ringers is um, it's an, a new adaptation. It's based on multiple sources, including the 1988 David Cronenberg body horror classic of the same name, um, as well as its source material, which was the 1977 novel by Barry Wood and Jack Briesland called Twins. And that in turn was based on a 1970s, 1970s very lurid true crime case of real-life twin gynecologists Stuart and Cyril Marcus, who came to a very ugly um, end that fascinated all people who find you know twins <laughs> and that kind of doubling um, a little disturbing. Um, so this new gender-swapped adaptation is written and, and executive produced by British playwright in, and TV wunderkind um, Alice Birch. She's been involved in succession, um, succession, Normal People, The Wonder, Lady of She's worked w- um, with um, Florence Pugh on The Last Two Named. Um, her play, Anatomy of a Scandal. Anyway, she's got very big prestige in the world of um, writing. Um, and it stars Rachel um, Wise of The Favourite, The Constant Gardener, The Mummy franchise, um, in a dual role as brilliant but, but disturbingly codependent twin gynecologists, Beverly and Elliot Mantle. Those roles, of course, played by Jeremy Irons in the Cronenberg version. Um, their determination to revolutionize the birthing industry is complicated by Elliot's panic and rage over Beverly's first serious love affair, um, by the predatory practices of the uber-wealthy Perker family who are financing their new birthing center, and ultimately by the twins' own deeply troubled relationship to issues of fertility, birth, motherhood, and family. Um so anyway, let's just plunge right in, um, Dolores. What's your take on this um, mini series?
1: Okay, uh, this one was not for me. Um, I, I'm a bit nervous. I'm not going to provide much enlightenment. Um, how to explain it? It's it's not stupid, but it certainly could have been a two-hour film instead of a six-hour mini series. Um, it is so dark um, the, in terms of the lighting that I feel like I have very few memories of the visuals because very it, murky indeed. visual. yeah, because it like didn't register on my retinas in the first place. So uh, I don't know what to say about that. It has a very, um, it has a very sterile look um but and there are quotations from the Cronenberg film like the motif of uh one of the twins in particular wearing red frequently mm-hmm. um but it, i <laughs> i could barely see the damn thing um it seemed <coughs> uber slick uber contemporary um you know many sort of like hot topics in our world were touched upon Mm -hmm. um i watched like the first 40 minutes of the cronenberg to refresh my mind and Mm. it's it's true i do think that the gender swap was clever and it adds a lot of nuance here Mm -hmm. um eileen you'll talk more about this but Mm -hmm. um it does make a lot more sense and it's it's interesting the way that they reclaim gynecology Mm -hmm. and um you know um questions around female anatomy and um birthing um mm-hmm. for like more more feminist ends um there are like creepy rich donors who are obsessed with um you know a profit uh and in particular like transhumanism mm-hmm. so they're like interested in ways um you know to make people live forever or um uh biohack people's dna so mm. that they don't age or so that menopause uh, is delayed significantly or maybe forever um or, or you know uh, all of the ways that you can find to sort of like uh turn back inevitable decay um and also like uh tailor make your children mm-hmm. <laughs> and and birth processes uh, those things are you know certainly interesting and of the moment don't really like take my imagination Mm um rachel wise is is good as always i don't know how to explain how i feel about her she's Mm -hmm. not someone who i ever think about once the film is over Mm -hmm. um She's lovely, smart. I think I'd want her to be my friend. She seems like a very, like, really, really interested, human, nice person um, Mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, I've read a lot of her interviews. And I know a lot of the reasons that she gravitates towards films like this, um, especially the reason she plays so many lesbian characters. is She's Mm -hmm. always looking for roles with women and roles and projects with multiple women. Um, with multiple roles for multiple women, Mm. and that's like fine. Um, that's nice, you know. um, (laughs) I I don't know. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And it is.
0: I mean, things about this project that you read are so they're very, very nice. Like the whole writers' room, it was an I think eight woman team. It was all women, like an eight woman team, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it seems like the production, too, is like pretty heavy on uh, it's like a lot has significantly woman made, Mm -hmm. um, you know, fine. Um, There's something about she uh, she frequently plays these characters who are supposed to be neurotic. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't believe her in the moment. I kind of do. But like Mm -hmm. there's something about her that just isn't neurotic. Mm.
0: (laughs) She seems like a very solid citizen. She really does.
1: She really does. She seems like a heck of a gal. And it. um, so it's like there's something about her that doesn't stick with with me or like mm. she doesn't make me like dream past what i see on the screen I, mm-hmm. I can't really explain it i i have nothing against her she's very pretty i like her projects you know she's a good actor i just it doesn't i'm not like enchanted or in- mm-hmm. particularly interested in this person mm-hmm. so the star power personally wasn't enough to like float me through mm-hmm um however i was super excited to see poppy liu who's oh, one of yeah. my favorite <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite actors she plays kiki on hacks and mm. she has a minor role in this that i thought was going to pay off and be something way more interesting yeah. and it was t- a total dead end to me really so was. maybe yeah we could talk about that <laughs> yeah but, we
0: should do I have a separate conversation let's not forget because yeah,
1: yeah. But like seemed like kind of a waste of Poppy. Um, mm-hmm. But at least she we get some Poppy on screen when mm. you can make her out. The light again is very low. Um, <laughs> it, really so is. I, it was like it was like pretty gruesome. I'm yeah. not like, you know, super interested in all the like maternity questions, although they are certainly interesting for the world. And like, yeah. sure, you know, got nothing against it. But for me, it's like I would if, if we didn't have to podcast about this, I would have long abandoned this. Like mm. I would not have made it through the first episode. Mm. So. yeah i think it's
0: hilarious that Dolores. this is wonderful Dolores actually thought the dead ringers in this case the title <laughs> referred to dead ringer a 1964 <laughs> betty davis <laughs> melodrama in which she plays of course sort of good and evil twins which is a whole little thread of melodrama the the, the strongly demarcated twins usually in good and evil Ill terms I actually haven't seen Dead Ringer. I need to watch that because I've seen A Stolen Life, which is Betty Davis. Yeah. And I've seen Olivia de Havilland's, um, what the hell is it called? Uh, Dark Mirror, a kind of uh, film noir psychological thing with good and evil twins. Yeah, I like good and evil twins. I'm all for good and evil twins.
1: <laughs> oh, you're going you're to love Dead Ringers. Kyle Malden. Like, this is yes. shit. I was like, I love Betty Davis. Let's go, Rachel Weiss. And I was like, oh, it's Cronenberg. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, was, nothing but respect. But, very like, sad. So sad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Now, I, on the other hand, my whole take was based on think- knowing it was Cronenberg and going, how in the hell are they going to gender swap this? Uh Because if you've seen the Cronenberg version, it's all about a kind of male-order, gay. you know, it's classic male-gay shit, male fantasies of of the interior reproductive organs of women, especially when they encounter um, a woman who um, uh, Beverly becomes in love, who winds up in love with. Beverly also falls in love in this one with a kind of roughly similar character. Mm -hmm. Um, But as someone who has... Um, uh, her, her, her uterus, her reproductive organs are formed in such a way that it's going to make, it's not going to be impossible, but it's going to be very, very difficult for her to, um, um, have a baby, um, in the, you know, in the, through her body kind of way. And, uh, Beverly becomes, as he becomes jealous and crazier and all these things happen in the Cronenberg version where he becomes, you know, some of the most notorious scenes of that film involve him getting more and more delusional. He's hopelessly drug addicted. Um, he, he invents a series of horrifying, like torture instruments that he considers gynecological tools that he's going to uh-huh. use to work on quote unquote, malformed women. And so there's this whole, this whole way of looking at women's bodies, women's fertility, women having babies, all that that's very like f- from a, a kind of outsider yeah. psycho perspective it's guy you know it's gynecological horror show um so how the hell are you going to take that material <laughs> and just go oops swappity swap well for me i was shocked that they did as well as they did and it was more thoughtful than i thought and they were more invented than i thought so yeah. i was like kind of going oh all right yeah they actually kind of found ways to do this where of course it all has more than implications for the 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 two the the two gynecologists the two twins, one of whom is desperately trying to get pregnant and she keeps losing the baby over and over and you know there's, so they they found all sorts of ways to just do similar things. this horrible gruesomeness you see a lot of birth scenes you see cesarean sections with the cuts you see babies hauled out through the slits you see yeah. there's just a lot of gruesome. Um, which you know, you could argue tops Cronenberg, except you can't top Cronenberg when it comes to body horror, he pretty much is you oh know, yeah, that's his that's his genre. Um, but the weird thing is, and I this will be, seem especially weird to Cronenberg fans. I was a Cronenberg fan up to a certain point, and pretty much Dead ringers is that point. And most people would say, what are you talking about this is his masterpiece. huh it's weird. I even I can't explain it, but for some reason, I love Cronenberg right up to here, and then I huh. start to drift. Like, I love The Brood, I love The Fly, I love Videodrome. It was something about the grainier, lower-budget, somehow wilder world. And then he makes a kind of posh, high-budget turn, and it starts happening right at Dead Ringers. So just as everyone else jumps on board, mainstream... Cronenberg, I do a kind of classic snob move, which normally I would try never to do. And it's true. I just, I'm just like, no, he was better before the early shit was better. I don't know <laughs> what it is. I, even I can't explain why. But I remember watching the movie and feeling sort of vaguely dissatisfied with the whole thing and going, yeah, this seems like some, it seems like same some posh mainstream director came along and decided to do Cronenberg. But it's Cronenberg. So anyway, mm-hmm. ever since then, I've had a harder time with him. Nevertheless... You know, I can see, you know, obviously, he's got mad skills, Cronenberg. I can see, you know, Dead Ringers is a a real work, like a serious work. No question. So anyway, to me, I came at it from the other side, knowing it was Cronenberg and going, how the hell? And then going, oh, it's better than I thought. And I think I like Rachel Wise better than you. I think I clearly do. I know what you mean by her stardom doesn't like entrance the imagination. I kind of do the same thing. I kind of forget about her. Yeah. Until another project. I really was converted by the favorite. That's when I was brought around. Like her, 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 uh, what is she? What is her? Duchess of, Duchess of Sarah, Duchess of, Sarah Churchill, Duchess of something or other. Anyway, she's the (laughs) one who's the favorite of the Queen, of Queen Anne. And she's so boss. I think that's when she becomes amazing. It's not so much that she, you're right, she doesn't do neurotic well, but Mm -hmm. she does like, like formidable well yeah like you I, actually I can leave formidable with her yeah and and she and she doesn't look like she would i mean little i didn't even know this but she's had a long she started off as a model and she was she was always being termed it became a cliche the english rose mm. or her looks which i never would have thought of but like, yeah okay. that's not her look but i didn't think <laughs> yeah. so either so i was like yeah. whatever you brits think fine yeah. <laughs> but 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 that suggests all this softness and then you can see her face get as she ages to me she gets more formidable Mm-hmm. And that's something about what's happening with her face. She stays beautiful, but but and that that quality of being formidable is my favorite thing about her. Like she's oh. very convincing, and she d- and the best is the favorite. Um, yeah. But she's pretty good here when she's playing El- Elliot. She's playing the two tw- the differences of the twins. You know, Elliot is the that kind of really wild, high liver, driven, ferocious. She has lines describing her. You know, I you know that her sister describes her as hungry it's always wanting to feast but only once she's just like compulsively like after food sex there's so many scenes not only of her having just wild kind of um you know (laughs) impromptu sex um Mm -hmm. but also just gobbling down burgers or whatever she can get her (laughs) her mitts on she's like shoving it in her mouth so there's all this and she has this appetite for way outside the ethical boundaries um scientific experiments including growing um um outside the womb in a way that is just not at all <laughs> well not possible slash not at all allowable yeah um, at this point and she's doing it on a sly etc so she's but you know but her the positive side she's absolutely like will not take shit from anybody and she's, she's kind of out there doing what she wants all the time. She even says herself, you know, I, someone says, you know, you can't just go around doing whatever you want. She's like, actually, I have been, always been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I do, I do what I want. I get away with it. And I, that's, it, that's how it's always been. Um. And her big, her big weakness slash downfall is her obsessive love of her sister, which takes this kind of odd form of her trying to do things for her, for much more, shy and passive sister, Beverly, all the time, literally, you know, including, you know, they see an attractive um, young woman and she'll say, do you want me to get her for you? And mm-hmm. she'll go do this initial seduction and then pass her over to her sister. This mm-hmm. was also, of course, part of the Cronenberg uh, um, version, the sharing of lovers who often don't know they're being shared, who generally don't know they're being shared. Right. Um, you know, and this is a conceit of the, of the melodrama, the twin melodrama that no one can tell. <laughs> right. Like if they decide to do their hair like the twin <laughs> you know, Their parents can't tell Lovers can't Nobody can tell And you're just like, okay, sure yeah, <laughs> but, but it's a great conceit You kind of have to love it while you're in it yeah. Um, yeah, So there were aspects of it I enjoyed And I did enjoy the lineage of the good and evil twin thing Because they do a nice version of having it seem like It's the wild, increasingly seemingly out of control Elliot Who's the problem who won't mm-hmm. let Beverly have her own life, have her own love, you know, have her own work, have anything of her own without constantly wrecking it. And then it starts to subtly make it more ambiguous. Well, you know, how how blameless is Beverly and all this and all that. Shit? And, yeah. You know, who's the good one? Who's the evil one? And all that. It doesn't really go, you know, so it, it complicates that a bit. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, so I think I liked it. I certainly liked it better than you, but I still found it insanely long. Like it just, it just goes on and on. It's six hour long episodes. It just doesn't wow. need to be six hour long episodes. you just, you're getting tired of the characters and the scenarios, certainly by the time <laughs> you're yeah. at, three, four, you're going, oh my God, (laughs) I got a long way to go yet. Um,
1: What is this trend? They did that to like Mildred Pierce too. It's like, why? Why? (laughs) It's
0: a thing now. It's a thing in movies. It's a thing in series. It's a thing in everything. Just somehow, is there literally a financial payoff? Because I would think it would cost you so much more to make so much more stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I would think it would be a wash, but whatever. Really too extended. And that makes it weird that they don't give um the greta character poppy lou more to do it's just like this repetitive thing where she's doing these very you know she seems just to be the perfect like household manager for the twins but she's doing these kind of very creepy invasive things when they're gone like literally taking their tampons and their pubic hair out of like garbage and shit and collecting it and you're like what the hell you're trying to figure out what's going on and it just turns out to be such a dopey like this doesn't seem to have a lot to do, with, I don't know, it just with seems anything, like out of nowhere.
1: No, so like, okay, for for the listeners, we're going to mm. spoil this. Yeah, but-
0: spoiler, spoiler, spoiler.
1: Spoilers galore. Until the last episode, you see uh Poppy's character Greta collecting all these things, putting mm. them in bags, and you think she's doing some mad scientist experiment. Yeah. And um she doesn't. It turns out she's creating an art installation piece mm-hmm. where she chronicles her own mother's birth during um uh, sorry, birth death um during you know giving birth, birth to, giving her. Birth to yeah, her. Yeah, in, in yeah. childbirth. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And it kind of it kind of ends happily yeah. her, her own father comes to see her art installation yeah. and tells her she looks like her mother and she says yeah that was kind of the point and uh you last see her having like tea and reconnecting with him
0: <laughs> yeah it's weird as hell that, that no that reconnection thing was like what <laughs> what yeah. what what world what hallmark world are we suddenly in what's happening yeah Bizarre. that was very strange yeah, but you know admittedly there's other there's a lot of thematizing of like the troubled mother-child bond and all the ways it can potentially go wrong. It's clearly trying to counter... In a in a way that like just recently watched the Brooke Shields documentary.
1: Oh my God! I watched episode one. It was really good. It's really <laughs> super
0: engaging. I can do yeah. a plug here without without planning it. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know she suffered. You know she put postpartum depression pretty much on the mainstream map and got attacked by Tom Cruise if you remember from a Scientology perspective. Ugh. You know this is years I'm ago, but wow, it was really a shocker because he used to be so PR savvy and suddenly he went Scientology crazy and started mm-hmm. spilling. everything. Everything in terms of Scientology, including they don't believe in in, you know, uh, psychiatric help. They don't believe certainly in any kinds of drugs that you would take in relation to that antidepressants. None of that. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, (laughs) he's ragging on Brooke Shields for Mm -hmm. having, you know, gone public with postpartum depression. And what what a shocking thing it is and how everyone just assumes every mother automatically instantly loves her baby and instantly comes out of childbirth being like the complete wholesome madonna mother and now it's just not true it's way more fraught or can be way more fraught way more difficult blah 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 and yeah so that was a big cultural moment way back and i forget what year well quite a while ago now um so anyway this movie takes that on because you know Part of the explanation for why the twins are such a mess is that, that their mothers clearly suffered from that. I don't think they ever used the term. Mm-hmm. So,
1: no, but it's clear. But it's, it's clear. clear. Yeah. But
0: that's what's happened. And then there's another mother who comes into the clinic, their clinic, who basically has the same thing happening, where she's like, this baby doesn't want me. And I now I don't want it. And, you know, this is just complete lack of bonding. And then the trauma associated with that because of the culture, in part because of the p- cultural expectation that it'll all just flow smoothly. Right. Um, so there's there's things like that that, that you know you're right. It, it's very praiseworthy, and some of it's dramatically viable, but some of it feels a little like we're doing topicality for its own sake. Totally,
1: totally. And I like I support. You know, I yeah, I'm glad. You know, um yeah. that it's there. And there are some moments where the Beverly character is such an empathetic doctor right. that that's kind of a lovely model of like how it might a woman might. Bring this up and it would be okay, you know. Right. That's kind of nice sometimes, but overall, um, I I have to say, even though it was on screen constantly, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had a real understanding of those women. I understood that the that the movies uh, or the series like attitude towards them was like sympathetic, yeah. But I didn't understand necessarily them. Although I completely, you know, understand and can't imagine postpartum depression. It's just like, it didn't come from the inside. I can't explain right. that. I but, agree. It felt, felt yeah. completely insufficient. Like they, there's yeah. an agonizing episode for me anyway, if you're working class
0: <laughs> or maybe yeah. it's anyone, but where the very, very working class parents show up for a visit. Yeah. At the, oh God. The of the oh God. And it's, just nightmare. it's just a yeah. nightmare from the second you see them. Cause, cause of course the twins have become you know, they're brilliant, they're professionally accomplished, they're wealthy, they become very sleek, very chic, very upper class Mm -hmm. in all of their manners. So they've risen wildly in the world. And here are these left behind parents who show up. And Beverly, who's usually the nice one, quote unquote, is the more hostile (laughs) to the parents than, you know, than Elliot, who's surprisingly clingy and reverts and will climb into their bed with them and everything else and is always hugging her dad. And, all this all this jazz so there's all this fraud stuff that's never really explored other than the postpartum depression thing you don't really get you don't really get what yeah what made them like this in yeah. fact it seems like it relies on that kind of the old twin melodrama <laughs> to yeah. sort of see you through it's just all with you know and the old twin melodrama frankly is very reliant on an old superstition about twins and our and i kind of you know a kind of uneasiness about the doubling of people and what the implications of that are that it's, you know, it's using as a device, this, this show, this show, which does get so explanatory and sympathetic in other areas, just leaves that lying there. Yeah. Yeah. Twins creepy, right? (laughs) Especially when we have lots of cold reflective surfaces. So twins (laughs) become quadruple and you're just like, and sometimes they swap, you know, they'll change. Literally it's, they do old fashioned things like in twin melodramas where one puts her hair up and one has her hair down so you can tell but then that that when they swap hairstyles which takes two seconds um suddenly no one knows the difference yeah (laughs) you know no one knows the difference even when it's the woman who's in love the act the woman who's an actor who's in love with beverly winds Mm -hmm. up in the end again huge spoiler winds up in the end with elliot and has no idea like he's living with this woman and it has no idea, and you're like, ah. <laughs> you know, you can't get that identical. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense because also like earlier in the series, mm. um, the uh, uh, what's her face, uh, Genevieve, yeah, um, Beverly's lover, mm. yeah, recognizes when they're twin swapping. Yes, so it's like she's already like called them on it. Yes, she could tell, and we're supposed to believe that she ends up with the wrong twin forever right. and ever. Come on! No, the
0: implication <laughs> is, or at least they have lines of dialogue where the suggestion is one twin absorbs the other. Hmm. Um, you know, one twin voluntarily says, "I just need to go be absorbed in, into you because you're the stronger twin, or something yeah. like that." Um, and so you get the feeling that the the remaining twin, which is Elliot, becomes more Beverly-like be- beyond just hairdo, and she certainly acts more like Beverly after that. Right. So you kind of have to go along with that, you know. Idea again, which is a which is a dramatic device uh, that has to do with horror uh, about right. surrounding surrounding twins that you know. So there's that kind of convenience of we'll rely on the old warhorse devices when it's convenient, and we'll get all you know sensitive and nuancy in other areas. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah, so that gets a little dicey, yeah, especially if yeah. you love melodrama and you finally just like look, just go all out here.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> I, I would say so some of the best parts like ended up leading nowhere for me mm-hmm. like um, Elliot the one of the one of the most fun episodes at least to me was mm-hmm. when uh, Beverly goes away for the weekend or for a little bit on a trip with her lover mm-hmm. and Elliot's freaking out alone. Yeah. Yeah, and so she's she, having she a
0: has a breakdown.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She's having a breakdown. She has a party. She invites the whole bar back to her place, mm-hmm. has sex with some guy, and most importantly, um, interacts with this uh, homeless woman who lives in the alley by her apartment building. Mm-hmm. And they have this great conversation because the homeless woman is has been a drug addict for a long time, mm. and she kind of rags on Elliot's drugs. Elliot gives her, I think, some Coke, and the homeless woman's like, these are bad drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these exactly. Drugs. And she's <laughs> and, uh, played by some great actor I've
0: never heard of named Susan Blumert. That's B L O M M. A E R T. I liked her so much. I wrote it down. I'm just like this. This woman's great.
1: We need a lot more of this woman. Oh, for sure. She's been in so many things. Like you know, you'll know her when you see her. Oh. <laughs> um. But yes. So. Basically, um, they have this great exchange, and I thought this was gonna go somewhere where the woman the woman has pretty much ruined her body. She's mm. you know, she's been a drug addict for a long time, and Elliot is in the process of doing the same thing. And the woman is like unapologetic for it. You know, she's mm. like, uh, oh, best, you know, best best sex, best steak, best mm. <laughs> best night of your life. Like she's had so many good memories being mm. really, really high. Mm. <laughs> and they have this bond over you know, the thrills of living extremely. Um, and it turns out that Elliot pushes her off uh, the ledge of a building. Mm. And it's kind of like unclear to Elliot whether or not she's actually done this for a long time after. And you yeah, find and out-
0: the, Oh, let, let's just explain. Because it is a little yeah. bit clever. That part is clever, where she goes, rushes down, horrified immediately to find the body. You can't find the body. And she assumes she must have hallucinated it. But then very much two episodes later, the body is found. It fell on a higher ledge. Yeah. And was undiscovered. Anyway, carry on.
1: Yeah. Well, I, so I, it's just interesting, like, um, that doesn't go anywhere. It turns out that, like, uh, all right, so some people find out that Elliot probably killed this Mm -hmm. woman, and it becomes just one more item of blackmail at Mm -hmm. the end. Um, There's, you know, the way that, it's a long story, but (laughs) her twin sells her out, basically, because Elliot has done a number of unethical things. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's clear that Elliot has to sort of, like, go away, metaphorically, for the investor's investment to continue to be Mm -hmm. profitable, and their birthing center to continue to be successful, Mm -hmm. and for Beverly to keep her partner, the actress. And so Beverly sells her sister out, but you know, it seemed like um, it was going somewhere and it was going to have a lot more meaning. And I kind of like lost the thread of meaning after, Mm -hmm. after that one exchange, which was kind of exciting and magical. I don't know. Yeah, no,
0: I agree. It it seemed, it's, it's, it made such an impression that you you very, it seemed very odd. (laughs) Yeah. That that wasn't going to be central to what, then happened, and it's just yeah, it's just thrown into a grab bag of stuff. Yeah, at the end, yeah, yeah. Then there's a kind of a lot of that. Um, you know, so for all the worship of Alice Birch, um, it does make you kind of go, huh? um yep. There's all these kind of tag ends of things that are interesting that just get dropped. Um, yeah. And so in the end, the ending is not satisfying. You know, the whole ending just feels like it's shoved together because it has to be one way or another. You got to You can't go on past six episodes. God knows. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta do something <laughs> in the end and it just doesn't feel right like so many things don't like yeah. having having the actor lover sub just not be able to tell you just like that doesn't make any sense or you know, there's just there's just having the having the 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 elliot character who seemed like the whole point has been revealing she seemed like the strong one and she's actually the much more weaker independent one she can't mm-hmm. give up she literally she can't she's like lying in her Apartment starving to death, basically, or is it? Or is she in her lab now? I'm forgetting where is she? She's in her
1: lab. She's I think. in her lab,
0: starving to death, waiting for, yeah. for her sister to come and rescue her, which she finally does. Um, so you're thinking, but then in the end, suddenly Beverly says, "Well, you were always the better me. You were always the stronger, better me." Kind of you're like going, "Okay, we're back to the beginning where she always seemed like at least the livelier, more going, more daring, more imaginative." but also yeah. crazier, more chaotic, more all of these other things. They're like, but you just have to, it's just a line. You also have the sister Beverly suddenly saying, for the reason why she wants just to be, to sacrifice herself for the supposedly stronger, better twin, is she mm-hmm. says, I, I'm incapable of happiness. But we've seen whole chunks of episodes where she was ecstatically, apparently happy. Totally, totally. So you're like going, wait a minute. <laughs> so there's all that kind of stuff that feels, I don't know, shoved together at the end, to get yeah, to get to this conclusion.
1: It, totally. It's mystifying. It doesn't seem to come, like you were saying, out of their particular characters. It seems like it comes out of a general like horror genre, um, twin, you know, uh, uh, trope. Both twins can never <laughs> that go one's ahead. Be- you know, that's yeah. just in the, mel- the,
0: in the melodrama, and I'm assuming there's got to be tons of horror things and I'm not even thinking of them. Both twins can't go forward. It's always right. like you've got to, one's got to die um, <laughs> for the other to thrive um which is pretty is a chilling cultural idea but there you go yeah. um so yeah so it's got to do that in the end and so that's what it does but yeah it, it really feels like it's not convincing um dramatically Mm-mm. yeah yeah and you know you've mentioned a number of times the visual style which is very upstage it's very again it's a very high production value um show yeah this is a more prestige tv kind of thing yeah but it's very intense, like you know uh, the opening credit sequence have the have the most intense like bright new blood red cover the screen that I've ever seen, like insane red, and so the reds are gonna be everywhere um mm-hmm. it's gonna be have have handmade handmaid's tail qualities where the, the all at the new birthing center the state of the art, they're all wearing red red scrubs, which is mm-hmm. you know. Red isn't typical. <laughs> no, in 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 settings where you're trying to soothe people and have them be relaxed, red is an agitating color. So of course you're kind of like going, I don't know that you would Beverly really have said, yeah, red. Let's just have red.
1: Well, thank you for bringing that up because this was my whole confusion. Mm. It, so this is um, a visual like quotation from the Cronenberg film. Yeah. And it makes sense for the Jeremy Iron Twins to be in that red because they look like medieval, like, you know, cardinals or the Pope or something. And you get it. It's like, okay, here's this long line of patriarchal violence and misunderstanding Mm. with blood on its hands. Done. I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, they look like the very definition of like the top of some hierarchy <laughs> mm-hmm. but in the whole like uh, you know a woman-centered um ethos of the birthing center it doesn't make any damn sense and why is Elliot always wearing red like she's got blood on her hands I mean does she in particular like I I don't know I was I was so confused by that
0: well I, maybe because she's the one doing the the really experiments the experiments I don't know but even you're right even at that uh, I mean I because know. They're not gonna Beverly- die Beverly, who has the supposedly greater ethical sense, but she never makes it stick because she wants what she wants, which is this, you know, hugely uh capitalized, you know, birthing center that where it's, you know, all, <laughs> all of it is designed to order. And by the way, it doesn't seem all that not, you know, I would want to give birth. <laughs> no. You know, I've read you know, takes reviews where they say, no, but you have like a screen where it's a forest blade. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I do not look comfy or anything or comforting or soothing. None of it. So you are I don't know if you're just supposed to think that that's true. These twins, it's neither of them, even though Beverly kind of talks the talk periodically are really mm-hmm. up to this. But it does seem like that's a whole truism of Beverly's as well, where there's a kind of trying to blood is a part of birth and we've just got to she's got a whole line about how people just don't see pregnancy and childbirth right yeah she keeps saying it's you know it's not a disease to be cured and that's why it's not a hospital they're not building a hospital and it's also that at one point she wears her bloodied her bloodied you know scrubs and someone's (laughs) like and her mother says don't you think you want to change and she says but, you know, this, why? Is just, this is what happens. Yes, why? Mm-hmm. Why are we so unable to deal with it? Well, of course, we know why. Because blood, to most people, associates with total crisis. And, you know, that's why. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's clearly got, got this argument she wants to make. So I'm assuming they never say, but I'm assuming that's why. But the color throughout is, is there to disturb the whole shooting style is there to disturb so it, you, indeed it is so murky and so dimly lit at times you're just like and you're in the ladies room and nobody can you're like uh i don't think <laughs> anyone can see themselves in the mirror here i yeah. can barely see them uh, right. but there's color combinations that are gonna be. there's all this kind of variations on red and teal so that they find exactly the versions of them that don't go well together that make you feel vaguely ill yeah. Um, so all along they're, they're upping the disturbance level visually and there's all this like jumping up to super high angle shots. So people are reduced to these like little, you know, rat like creatures down there. And you now there's just all sorts of, you know, pretty patented moves, but still they're very, they're very dramatically done. So you know, you kind of can't ignore that this, this whole thing's got, got visuals going on throughout to make you feel bad and, and, to feel dread about everything that's happening, everything you see, even the stuff that seems like it might be good or being yeah. presented as if it's going to be good. Um, so yeah. There, and, that.
1: Okay. So, and back to, um, uh, uh, can we go back to the parents episode for a yeah, moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they have a, you know, the mother has a a rather reasonable, um, reaction to, Mm. uh, (laughs) Beverly hanging out in her bloody shirt. Um, and the parents episode is another like dangling question Mm. for me. I, the, the parents seemed like so many things at first I thought that they were going to be creepy, like emotionally repressed. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they say a lot of cliches and uh, platitudes because they don't know what to say Mm -hmm. um at first i thought it was because they were like incapable of being in touch with their emotions but it becomes a little more clear that it's simply because they're just working class normal people and their daughters have ascended to such heights and they don't really have a take on the philosophy of a birthing center and they don't really have an in-depth understanding of the work that their daughters do and so you know platitudes are the one way they can um yeah it's one thing they can do to like show their support like the mother is saying always saying things like well i think that's very interesting right. and her daughters quibble with her and she doesn't know what to say spe- mm-hmm. more specifically but she just wants to show like i'm i'm on your side you know you seem to be doing good things um well, and i would say a little even a little further than that i think they're afraid of their daughters
0: which yeah, you don't, you don't know right away, but it, it's sort of coming out, and then there's a final lashing out at a horrifying dinner party. There's a lot of horrifying group dinners. Dinners, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they go on. But one of them, where where the father finally bursts out, and he's the much more smiley, trying to be nice, trying to make everyone get along, um, more overtly, and he just finally says, "You, you awful girls," you know, to the point that you, you get the you get the sense that even beyond postpartum depression that these girls have been beyond what they could deal with always. Yeah. And so it's so you know They haven't seen them in four years. And this is a point of contention that comes up and they're, you know, there they are. And they're kind of, I don't know, even know how to describe what they're wearing, but it's very typical, you know, parent wear a certain generation, very practical and utilitarian. And there they're up against all this this kind of, I don't know, everything is chic and sleek and fashionable. and, and, and they and they kind of mock it when they're in their room, they're sort of sent to bed almost, and they're in their in their guest the guest room and they're just sitting on top of the fancy bed, going, oh, "I'm not tired, I'm not either, but you know we just gotta do this. we gotta sit in here um so this is just a complete estrangement really that they're people are, that they're all that they the parents especially have been trying to kind of cover over, but I think the implication is they're actually afraid of their daughters
1: yeah that that makes sense, and it uh, i mean so I, I wasn't sure how to take them because yeah. they seem like kind of delightful and supportive in and of them like as right. as a little unit as a couple they're sent to bed early by their awful rude daughters <laughs> yeah. and they're bored and they kind of laugh to each other and like mm-hmm. giggle um that's cute mm. and it seems like the father was pretty supportive of his wife in the flashbacks when yeah. she was having postpartum depression so yeah. they seem like lovely people and if they're brought in to like solve I I I didn't really know why they were brought in. So, Maybe yeah, that's the- a, that is exactly it. You, you get yeah. these
0: emotional moments where you're like, oh, God, this is the working class parent showing up and they're not really one. Ah. But yeah. they, it doesn't all add up in the end. In the end, you're like, and I don't really know. What to think. I don't know what to think about that. I don't know what to think about the parent-child relationship in this.
1: Right. Yeah. Because because you're you're just like, OK, is that just uh, so they're freaks, they're anomalies, they came out of nowhere and this just emphasizes it mm-hmm. like uh, or, or are we supposed to have some deep? Yeah. The more you say it, Eileen, the more it like crystallizes for me. It's like the world of this thing is like rather well thought out, but the characters make no sense yeah. <laughs> or something like or, or they don't... There,
0: there's an attempt to get them to, to suddenly do too many things. That, that, that it hasn't been built for them to do, so you can't get any strong impression and yeah. I know that will read like oh, but they' it's it's being complicated and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, it's being so it's striking so many different notes that in the end you come up blank you're just like
1: totally I don't know,
0: I don't totally. know what is.
1: <laughs> it's it's not unified. it doesn't have much of a world view. um yeah, I don't fucking know <laughs> I mean there are, you know in the
0: other episode that's clearly a state I mean, maybe there's many, but there's a, the other one is when there's a there's a, another of the meetings with the investors, and the investor scenes are actually fairly successful in scathing mm. satire of, of yeah. the uber rich. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, how do you pronounce her name? E H L E. She's very distinguished. I don't inspector. know. I thought it was L. L? L? That's yeah. what I thought I said. Okay. L. She's great. You know, you yeah. might remember her from playing, you know, uh, 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 Elizabeth Bennett in, you know, the the, the 1995 <laughs> um, Pride and Prejudice. But she's mm-hmm. done lots and lots and lots of stuff, theater person and everything else. And she's great. She's playing, you know, this this the daughter of a dynastic family, the Parkers, who are involved in seemingly in, in philanthropy. But they really finance, you know, cutting edge startups that are going to be hugely profitable. And yeah. they've they've already been tarred with having you know basically uh, launched the opioid crisis through through you know their drug sales and stuff. So it's a whole tarnished history. But Jennifer L plays Rebecca, the sort of daughter of the Parker Parkers, and she's just absolutely chilling and awful yet wonderful. In, in a, yeah, she's savvy. She just is. She's really really daunting. Like she mm-hmm. just nails people so readily. So you know the 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 Beverly of the two twins is is, is tr- tries very hard to have a social conscience and all that stuff, and and Rebe- this Rebecca Parker just nails her every time. And the weakness of her hands, she's like, oh, "Really, is capitalism bad? Is it really bad? <laughs> I mean, just the way it's hard to even depict how how she does it in a way." It becomes kind of unanswerable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just the scariness of the household because she's got all these acolytes, the trophy wife, um, Susan, who's played by, and I have it written down somewhere, Emily Mead, nice. Um, is, you know, she considerably younger. She's the kind of supposedly sweet, wholesome cheerleader who's always for nicey nice things and in, in horrifying new age and wellness industry language. But she's Um, she's, she's of course going to be the person who brings them into the Alabama family. (laughs) So there's a whole episode of, of a birth center that's going to have to be opened in Montgomery, Alabama of all places. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they're, it's going to be used to kind of investigate this family where there's just a bizarro, there's a, a a nightmare Southern patriarch at the head of it. And then there's all these twins and they're all female twins. Mm -hmm. So everyone in the family just seems to generate twins and now there's one coming up who's going to have quadruplets and she's like the prize breeding sow or something (laughs) on display in the middle of another, you know, horrifying southern dining room um, kind of um, uh, supper scene. That's really awful, but the whole thing is going to build up to it's it's a bit of real life horror history, where um you know the antecedent of this this family is what's his name J Marion where is it where is it
1: oh yeah um oh I've got to read that.
0: Sims J Marion mm-hmm. Sims is the father of gynecology, and this is a historical figure apparently that's being evoked in this in the show, um and he he achieved what expertise he had by operating without anesthetics which existed even though it was early on on Mm -hmm. slave on slave women Mm -hmm. so there's a long account given of that and then there's a kind of dream slash hallucination sequence where i think it's beverly this time is is wandering through the night and it's suddenly you've got southern it's a southern gothic and she, Mm -hmm. she wanders through the house by candlelight essentially it isn't really but um everything around her seems to age. So all the walls suddenly look like very old walls. And she comes into a room and she has an encounter with a slave woman who tells this account mm-hmm. of one of the, of one of the women who was the first woman, apparently who was uh, operated on 30 times. And we only know about it because he actually wrote it down. He wrote down his researches in studies and laboratory experiments, basically. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that one, It's really, it just suddenly ranges out of even where we've been to a very, very overtly gothic um, thriller kind of uh, film
1: yeah and they um, the dinner scenes too are. there's a good one early on where there's kind of like a Gwyneth Paltrow figure who's a member of this family (laughs) she's a she's a wellness guru and um, she's serving dinner um, and they (laughs) only the twins it seems are not allowed to swear around her children (laughs) because everyone else is always dropping F-bombs yeah Um, and her husband is this hilarious character Jeremy (laughs) kind of a disturbing character He's, he's such a self-hating man and everything is misogyny and he carries tampons with him yes. and um i don't know there was something to that i was like oh okay yeah that yeah, is that was uh, inventive and good. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> he had so he had so t- twisted himself into being the ultimately supportive figure the mm-hmm. ally of all women that he just become this kind of monstrous figure to look upon <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: he's yeah. like a rent he's like renfield or something like abject yes. and yes, <laughs> at exactly. the mercy of some and always ready drummer. to apologize
0: because of course no matter how hard he tries he always gets something wrong so he's always rebuked and he's just always yes. kind of crawling to try to try harder yeah so yeah there is a number of in the initial dinner scene and of course and of course the rebecca character is sitting sitting in front of a giant portrait of a vagina <laughs> <laughs> the whole time uh, but again Poker faced, you know, she's just she hangs on to this like slightly scary quality, no matter how ludicrous the three ring circus around her that she herself has constructed is, and yep. that really does seem like that's smart about rich people. Yeah, I mean, if you spend a lot of time with rich people. It would, you know even even if you only know a few you quickly get into this three ring circus thing <laughs> at least i have in my oh my, yeah you're going like what is going on what are all these weird relationships with with relatives and hangers-on and ex-lovers, and I don't even know. The longer you spend, the more crazy it gets, yep. uh, and, and all the weird purchases that surround them. And, you know, so it's sort of like it takes that and really runs with it. So yeah, that first dinner scene with the with the backer. I think it's the first. There's a number of dinner scenes with the backers.
1: I guess it's technically technically a second. the second, it's yeah. The second. The, it's the first at the home of the backers. versus
0: yeah. So then, yeah, the second. So it's yeah, that one's a that one's a wonderfully done nightmare. So there are very there's like an occasional really strong scene that makes you go, mm-hmm. oh okay, this thing's now all the gears are meshing finally, and yeah. then it'll kind of come apart again.
1: Um, yeah.
0: So the southern episode is of course getting a lot of you know a lot of comment,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it it seems to be it doesn't seem to me to be, anyway to be nearly as Effective. Really no, seems, and it's it, yeah, it's straining to have a teachable moment there.
1: You you could remove it and nothing about this series would it change. Would change. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. Um I mean it's it's I think it's a moment to get even, as you said, like more gruesome and more gothic. It just kind of I don't know. Uh and I'm sure like I it's not that I doubt the makers of this thing care about that history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure they do, you know? It's just that I can't explain it. It comes from the outside and not the inside. I've seen too many films like this lately, like Mm. where the characters aren't true to anyone or anything. (laughs) Like they're just not people. Mm -hmm. And this is an idea. This is an intellectual idea about commenting on like women and the birthing industry. Mm. Um, And then I don't know what the hell it's saying about twins.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like Um, I said, I think it's split. It's split between the old old melodramatic you know, construct. Yeah. Um, Which was delightful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, bore, hadn't, bore no relationship to reality. And then there's this, which is doing this big bid on like, where are we at in these, you know, kind of vital issues related to women and birth reproduction, all this stuff, fertility, yeah. all this stuff. And so it's, it has a foot in two camps and it keeps kind of shilly shelling between the two.
1: And it could just be a matter of taste. Like, personally, I always like art better that's, like, very specific Mm. and true to people Mm. and how they would act. And then I think the greater social commentary necessarily just comes out of you being very true Mm. to people and their experiences. Mm. But, like... And this is like not very related, so I don't know if it's a Mm -hmm. if it's a relevant example. But uh, another movie that reminds me of this is the Good Luck to You, Leo Grand film. Oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) that (laughs) too is like a Twitter argument turned into a (laughs) argument, yes, turned into a film. Mm -hmm. Like nothing about. Either of those characters has about an older woman who hires a sex worker and then, I don't know, has like an epiphany and eventually an orgasm. Yeah. Um, neither of those people seem true to like, at least of all her, I mean, just did not seem like a believable character. Yeah. And it, it seemed like... Um, someone just wanted to write progressive ideas mm-hmm. about like older women and sex, but it didn't really come from someone who believably might've like lived that, you know? Yeah. And like, by the way, sure enough, it was written by someone who was like 40, uh, mm-hmm. not like 65. Right. Um, yeah. and I don't know who the hell wrote this. Yeah. The succession woman, whatever. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, and again,
0: you rely on getting some actor. In that case, it was Emma Thompson. You hire Emma yes. Thompson to play that woman. And Emma Thompson kills herself. Right, we'll (laughs) do the best. That character with all the consistency and all the lovability, all the the things and all the prickliness and all the things you hate. But to to make you want to watch that character and be with that character. And you got something, you know, similar here, I think, in Rachel Wise, you know, having to, you know, knock herself dead in a dual role to try to give the coherence to the thing.
1: Totally. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to do it like that. Like start with the characters. Like if they're real, the problems of the world, our world will become apparent, we'll become apparent <laughs> You know, really. yeah, and yeah. you can comment on them, but like, let it come from something that seems like emotionally true. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know how to define that. I just know that like, this ain't it. <laughs> no. And, and you're
0: exactly right. Cause there's so many jarring moments. If you're, if you're paying a lot of the, like when you, when you realize that, uh, Beverly, who's supposedly, again, the, the one who's got the real commitment to we've got to radicalize the whole birth the whole reproductive profit, um, process in a way that is good for women. And she's mm-hmm. the one who seems sort of sensitive to it, whereas Elliot isn't particularly. Mm-hmm. When you see the hospital, it's not even hospital, the facility, it's hideous.
1: <laughs> I mean, How's I was it? looking
0: at it going, and it's clearly CGI. I mean, there's no such building. Ugh, I know. And the parents see it naturally, they're just like, they don't even know what to say. And they're like oh, that's certainly a lot. I don't forget what they say, but it's something <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> you have the same thing. You're looking at it going, That's what you built. I mean, the, all along you're like, Wait, was I supposed to not believe her? Was she being unreliant? But she's right, right quite to be quite sincere. So that's you just get knocked out of the film going, But it's another monstrous horrifying place. Was that is it because it's built with the bad money? Yeah, I just like you just start right. your head starts spinning. Yeah. Yeah. As you are trying to figure out, like, am I, what am I supposed to think? I don't even know. Because I don't know who this character is now. So yeah, that happens over and over and over and over. Whereas, I mean, we we harp on Tennessee Williams too much, but come on. When he gives you Blanche Dubois, you're just like, God damn this. You just get Blanche Dubois. And she's got all sorts of, you know, mad characteristics. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it's not like you're sitting there nitpicking going, she'd never have said that to that young man who came to the right. gate. You're like, oh, she would totally fucking said that. Yeah. 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 So. No,
1: exa- I, I just, I mean, funny you should mention Tennessee. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. this is, I mean, it's, in a way, my argument was, is coming from some advice I just gave to a student. Um, I have a student who's writing a very clever book. Um, mm. Seen in the style of Tennessee Williams, um, and and their ideas, at least as they explain them, were very abstract. It was all hmm. about I want to do X, Y, and Z in the plot, um, but it was about, uh, but I. You know, my advice was like, start from what the characters would actually say. This person was writing from a rather like personal perspective. Mm -hmm. And I said, just be like true to how it would really feel and Mm -hmm. the rest will fall in place. Like, you don't have to do the thing of like, I want this to end this way because that will mean this ideological argument, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like forget that that'll just get in your way yeah. <laughs> like, you just have to start with like emotional truth and the rest i, I just think the rest will fall in place but
0: right but the, you know you even as we say this doesn't this sound real really old-fashioned it just sounds like we're talking against the t- whole time i mean you're right i see movies all the time now and 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 television all the time now that's so constructed yeah and you're like oh yeah you're arguing to this point and then these are the little the argument devices up walking around exactly
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) that is no way to i I don't know it's meaningless and it's so dated it's already dated yeah it's already this shit is going to be so embarrassing in Mm. 10 10 years let alone 20 or 30 yeah like no one's gonna watch this again you know yeah Maybe and, people who think Rachel Wise is pretty, I don't know. Like Yeah, she's got a you know, she's
0: got a very, you know, a hot and bothered following, Rachel Wise. So she does. I don't know, maybe. Um, but yeah, my whole reaction was, even though I liked it better than you or found it at least more interesting than you, it was like, Oh, I'd never watch this again. Oh god, no. Oh god. No.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I might watch the true.
0: mummy again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd exactly. watch the favorite again. Definitely a on hundred times. A hundred yeah. times. But I, I certainly would not watch it this again, ever, ever, ever.
1: Yeah yeah that's definitely
0: it's, it that's definitely it i think we yeah. nailed this thing i really did. yeah we
1: did it i think you, we said everything anyone needs to say
0: so you're welcome
1: but you know you're
0: all of course always welcome to check it out for yourself even though we spoiled the whole plot for you yeah um yeah so that is it for today um with this episode we are calling dead ringers doa or dead on obviously we're a little more <laughs> for doa but at any rate thank you dear listeners and of course triple thanks to you to our subscribers who keep us in Amazon Prime memberships if you're not a subscriber yet but you like what you hear please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film stock content instead of just the half that's available to the public join us in two weeks for more sensational film stock content and until again we thank you again so much for joining us
1: bye bye